am Gautam Kumra, Chairman of McKinsey Asia, and you are listening to the Future of Asia podcast series. The Asian century has begun. The region is now the world's largest economy. As Asia's economies evolve further, the region has the potential to fuel and shape the next normal. In each episode, we are going to feature conversations with leaders from across the region to discuss what Asia's rise means for businesses across the globe. Join us. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the McKinsey Future of Asia podcast. I am Denise Lee, a partner at McKinsey & Company based in Taipei, and I'm your host for today. In this episode, we'll be talking about how global inflation has been affecting Asia and how companies can respond to these latest developments. I'm excited to be joined by two very distinguished guests, Joseph Tesvik, senior partner based in McKinsey's Sydney office and leader of our Asia-Pacific operations practice, and Mahima Chu, partner in McKinsey's Mumbai office. It's great to have you both with us today. Before we delve into the topic at hand, could you both briefly introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hi, my name is Mahima. I'm a partner in our Mumbai office. I spend all of my time with uh, consumer clients in across consumer products, durables, uh, and retail, working across growth topics, whether it's unlocking growth through commercial levers, through digitization, through route-to-market transformation, and so on. Very happy to be here today. Hi, uh, my name is Joseph Tesvik. I'm a senior partner who's spent more than two decades in McKinsey's Sydney office, from where I lead our Asia-Pacific operations improvement practice as well as our local consumer practice. Uh, I spend most of my time working with consumer-facing companies on significant strategic and operational transformations. According to recent McKinsey research, inflation in many countries has more than doubled projections over the past six months. What is the current situation in Asia, especially when compared to global figures? So far, we've seen a very significant effect in Asia across the board, you know, mid-single digits inflation in most countries, accompanied by significant scarcity in many of the inputs that consumers and businesses seek. Now, that's not quite as significant as the US and Europe, which so far have peaked around 9%, but it is very significant if we take the last 20 or 30 years as the point of comparison. The thing that's really different from some of the prior inflationary cycles we've seen here in Asia is that inflation is more or less everywhere, and by which I mean more or less in every Asian country, and more or less on everything. So, you know, whether it's freight, containerized or otherwise, whether it's energy, coal, gas, electricity, whether it's the price of labour itself, whether it's the food commodities like wheat and so on, pretty much everything is seeing an inflationary cycle, sometimes 2x, sometimes 4x, sometimes north of, north of that. The other thing I'd say about the effect of inflation in Asia is no one has a crystal ball. The predictions made by you know, banks and macroeconomic folks in the last little while, no one really knows the direction it's going. One thing I thought I would share, though, is that Mahama and I hosted almost 100 senior executives recently, and we asked them where they thought the Asian inflation would be uh, at the start of next year. 
for what it's worth, half of them thought it would be higher than it is now, half lower, showing the high level of residual uncertainty on the question. And equally, 85% of those thought it would take a year or more to get back to normal in their home country. So I guess we're not predicting a quick resolution, but we mainly expect everyone to have to deal with a high level of residual uncertainty and have the settings of their businesses well equipped to, to handle that. Thank you for that, JT. That's very insightful. How has this current scenario changed the economic outlook of Asian countries? How worried should Asian businesses be? We continue to remain quite bullish on Asia and the growth opportunity that it offers for the global economy. We believe that it's going to have a material contribution to incremental growth going forward. I'd like to answer the question slightly differently. I think more than worry for Asian businesses, this could also be looked as a great inflection moment and a great opportunity, actually. You know, if we look back to the last financial crisis that happened in 2008, actually companies that set themselves up well during that time and were agile and quick and thoughtful in their response outperformed their peers for the next decade. So while the current inflationary scenario is definitely worth thinking through short-term responses over, this is also a moment for companies to really take a deep look at the entire value chain of their business and see what can really be transformed that will set them apart going forward. Thanks, Mahima. How then can Asia tackle this period of inflation? What advice would you give to companies and CEOs navigating this period of volatility? I mean, the first bit of advice I would give is if what you're doing is belt tightening, you're doing it wrong. Frankly, as Mahima mentioned, that statistic about setting yourself up for a decade of outperformance, that requires reinvention rather than belt tightening. And we're counselling our clients at the moment along five reinvention themes, and and Mahima and I might talk about a couple of them each. Um, The first one is using this situation as an opportunity for radical product and service simplification. Now, why did I say radical? It's because it goes to an extent different from how companies normally operate. Take a few examples. Many companies will rationalise products or services Typically, that might be removing 10% for the sake of simplicity and efficiency. We'd say maybe now is the time to think about 50 or 80. Many would do kind of product design by tweaking around the margins. Now is the time to do clean sheeting at the level of every atom that's in the product, at the level of the packaging, the level of where it's produced and how, and really getting into that kind of forensic analysis that, you know, if you did it once a generation, you know, you have a remarkable effect on your business. Not only downstream, you know, also thinking about can you take your products and services upstream in in value, and also asking is there now the time to reinvent your business model, you know, should it be subscription-based rather than, you know, rather than a fee-for-product or fee-for- fee-for-service? You know, should you be engaging with your customers in a different way? But all of those are variants of this topic of radical product and service simplification. The second reinvention theme is supply chain transparency and resilience. You know, I guess probably all of us in our private lives have wanted to buy something or do something in this COVID period and especially in this period of 
you know, high inflation and scarcity and found that we couldn't couldn't do it. For businesses, that feeling that we've all had can actually be existential and the old-fashioned levers of sort of brute-forcing your way through it and getting onto the phone, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So, you know, what it actually requires is you know, digitising the supply chain, you know, having extreme transparency on your inputs and the inputs of your inputs, you know, knowing what is where, focusing on the critical uh, critical spares, critical inventory, critical services, critical labour as well in this sort of low unemployment environment. And the more scientific you can be, the more you can beat the crowd on supply chain transparency and resilience. You know, a good example of this one is we've had many companies uh, in the world say, well, they can't get chips to put into electronics. There actually are enough chips. It's just that, you know, many of the ones are in places which are hard to find. You have to have the transparency to know who has the capacity and who can who can bring it. And you know, the faster you do that in you know in whatever is appropriate for your sector, the better you will be. So that's the second one: supply chain transparency and resilience, very much powered by digital innovations. And the third one I'll mention is what we'd call next generation operations improvement. You know, typically using some combination of digital analytics human-centred design, agile automation and robotic automation. And it's almost uncanny that no matter what part of the business you look at, using those levers in a sophisticated way will achieve about twice as much the business impact than using the kind of analogue levers, you know, as good as they are, you know, Lean, Six Sigma, etc. And that assertion I make it's borne out with the experience we see with our clients and businesses that we admire, uh, is whether it's frontline work automation, back office processes, external spend, i.e. procurement, capital productivity, there's always twice as much in it from applying the digital analytics automation style of levers rather than the conventional techniques. So that's three of the reinvention levers. Uh, Mahima, I know you've got another two to describe. Thanks, J.D. You know, what J.D. has talked about is the backbone, which ensures that your business is well set to deliver the right products and services to consumers. And what I'd like to talk about is what you can really do with the product suite that you're offering to your users and how you're accessing them and what are the changes that can be made over there. And we like to holistically call this as next generation revenue growth management so if you look at the product portfolio that you would offer to your user, and it's really quite applicable across the board, whatever product or service you might be selling. We like to call it a price pack architecture, but it goes by different names. The point is that is that price pack architecture, the suite of services and products, is each of them solving a particular need and is relevant for a particular occasion? Are there new needs and occasions that have been created in this time of macroeconomic disruption that are worthwhile addressing and some that have evolved over time. Options need to be retired. At its core, this price pack architecture or product portfolio design used to be something that was taken with a mix of art and science. It has, in our mind, moved completely in the ambit of pure science. So this is now powered by data. This is now powered by very logical decisions on ROI and the balance of volume and value growth. 
So the velocity and granularity with which this price pack architecture or the product and services suite is designed is what's also going to set a lot of uh, companies apart, especially during this time. At the other end of the spectrum, if we look at demand generation, there was a time when it was all about linear television and then the conversation moved to digital demand levers. What we believe now that it's really about agility and customization. It's about a conversation on incremental reach uh, using different levers. It's about making sure that different channels of reaching the consumer and generating demand from what you do at the point of sale, at the physical point of sale, to what you do with the geotagged notification that the consumer gets. It really varies product by product and service by service, but at its core, do you have that capability to be agile and really customize your marketing communication? Lastly, I think it's again, as it has happened in demand generation with respect to channel management as well, the physical channel and the digital channel players were looked at in isolation, but with incredible integration happening to create large aggregated omni-channel ecosystems, looking at, again, your channel management as omni-channel management and ensuring things like promotions, promo calendars, discount calendars, everything is backed by a robust ROI understanding and robust understanding not only of past performance, but actually of future potential of different zip codes and different channels with which you are going to reach those zip codes is the next generation in go-to-market, which we believe will all the more be important coming out of a pandemic year where consumer behaviors have really changed into a dynamic switch between offline and online channels. The fifth one that I'd like to talk about is at the heart of uh, an organization and how it operates. So how should companies really be thinking about reimagining their entire operating model? And of course, there are multiple levers there, uh, everything from talent to value to how should we be thinking about what is it that you acquire versus what is it that you outsource. But the one I'd like to underscore uh, is the point on reskilling. And according to our research, uh, if you look at most global companies today, by 2030, as much as 30% of their workforce is going to require substantial reskilling for them to be relevant in the next decade. And companies that are going to get ahead of this, realize this quickly, identify the pockets of reskilling, uh, will definitely be set up better, not only uh, during this inflationary period, but uh, also going forward consistently. Thank you, Mahima. You've been very helpful and talked about the five levers and what companies can consider when navigating these current headwinds. To round off this discussion, what is the one thing that our listeners should take away from this conversation? It's an interesting time for businesses in Asia to really take a step back and look at the entire through cycle view of the business and really question themselves on what can be disrupted if it has not been disrupted so far. Assume that if it's not the macro environment, then there's going to be an insurgent that's going to come and disrupt it. So it's really a, a moment to predict some of the upheavals that can happen in businesses and get ahead of them and really be ready for the next disruption that's probably around the corner. I think the, my biggest takeaway is there's a massive level of uncertainty coming at Asia and the greater risk is underreacting rather than overreacting to it. So we would cancel an overreaction rather than an underreaction. 
Thank you both for your time today. We have come to the end of this episode of the McKinsey Future of Asia podcasts. If you enjoyed it, keep a lookout for more to come. And if the topic of resilience interested you and you would like to read more on it, go to www.mckinsey.com slash future of Asia for more. You have been listening to the Future of Asia podcast by McKinsey and Company. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com slash future of Asia or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Facebook.